everybody, it's Play to Innovate, the innovation show that goes beyond the hype. Now here's your host, my dad, Brett Schwab. Welcome to another episode of Play to Innovate. Today I want to talk to you about first the chaos, then the solution. As with most projects in our life, there is going to be chaos at the beginning, and we've all been there. And you know that you'll probably get some chaos along the way, and we've all been there too. Requirements change, or somebody's boss had this best idea ever, or the client decided that they wanted it sooner because it's an emergency, and now their emergency is your emergency. And of course there are ways to deal with stuff like that, but that's a whole other story. But you get the drill. And it's not just work. It's true with our personal lives. Whether it's raising children or, as my wife and I and actually our older son helped, a couple of weeks ago pulled out all the 70s era paneling from the family room and replaced it with new drywall. The previous homeowners had skim-coated the top half of the walls to look like regular drywall, and then they left the bottom to just be plain paneling, and we're not quite sure what the look they were going for was, whether they thought it looked like beadboard or whatever. It kind of had a log cabin feel, and looking back on it, knowing the little bit we knew of the previous people, they were quite outdoorsy, so that makes sense. And it was livable. It just wasn't us. It was just not great. But tearing all of that out was a big mess. It produced dust and shards of 40-year-old plywood. And seeing the room right down to the studs like that wasn't just kind of weird for me. It was disconcerting, and I, I never liked that kind of thing. And in fact, in our old house, we had similar projects that it just feels very uncomfortable and disorienting for me to see our previously livable space down to construction. But it also meant that all of the furniture was now taking up residence in other rooms. So the chaos spread from our family room to every place else in the house. And that included the garage where we had to stage all this paneling while it waited for me to cut it down into manageable garbage bin sized pieces. It had also had to live next to the new drywall before we put it up. And in fact, we still have six pieces of it left. It would cost just as much to return it as it's worth. So if anybody wants free drywall, come on over. But bring your own truck. But we discovered things behind the walls, too, that the previous homeowners did or just kind of left that we then had to fix, such as the hole that went down into the crawl space through the floor, allowing all this musty air to kind of come up. And we uh, also included last-minute decisions of our own, such as do we run the TV cables through the wall or just let them kind of hang, and how do we deal with that? Or do we add another set of power outlets or just use a power strip? So that added an entire day to the whole project. And don't get me started about the two times I had to fix the drywall taping job I did, adding another day and a half. So while we gave ourselves a week and we thought we were going to be done in four days, essentially done by Thursday, it ended up actually taking from Saturday to about halfway through the next Saturday, so almost eight full days. But we can't argue with the results. The new walls are painted and the trim is up. It looks great. The room is now our style and much more comfortable to be in, but it wouldn't have been possible without that initial chaos. 
And I don't think any of us really like the mess that often comes at the beginning of a project. I mean, I know I still don't. The only person I can think of is Chip Gaines of Fixer Upper fame, who always talked about demo day and reveled in clearing away the old to make way for the new. But if you're like me, there are some familiar fears, dreads, and concerns that go along with that chaos. There's the dread of sorting through requirements, research, and budgets, because if we can't make sense of that, then we might fail. And no matter how good I've gotten over the years, the feeling never seems to go away. And then there's the fear that comes from knowing that starting right is the foundation, and the more right you get it, the better the project will go and turn out. And knowing that people are relying on me to get it right is added pressure that just really doesn't help. And that worry is the cousin to the fear that I might actually not find a good solution or that the right solution will not be good enough. And that's actually a big one for me, but it drives me to do better. So while I don't like that feeling, I know it's actually an ally. It's something useful. But then there's the energy spent that you might rather use for family, hobbies, or video games. It kind of just to avoid the stress of the chaos and work. But it's still an attractive temptation. That all said, the chaos at the beginning of a project is just how we clear the way for the solution. And I'll talk heavily about that. And quite frankly, if you're just trying to keep things clean, if you're just trying to essentially skim coat the walls to cover the old paneling, you're really not making room for innovation. Even on a project meant to continuously improve something, you're going to have some level of chaos. You know, for example, we could have left the paneling up, maybe even finishing that skim coating job the previous people started, and maybe the walls would look like drywall. Or we could have just painted the bottom white and pretended it was beadboard. But none of that was a real solution. None of those options, and don't get me wrong, they were valid options, would have given us the end result we wanted. Without the mess of having taken down the old walls, without all that chaos, we wouldn't have been able to put up the new. That chaos made the eventual order possible. And that sounds super obvious, I know, but it's something that we often try to avoid, isn't it? Understanding that chaos is an important part of getting the right solution is important. And I'm not talking about simply changing the terms we use for chaos. That would just be platitudes and essentially an easy cop-out. I'm talking about seeing the opportunities and having the right mindset and attitude. That mindset being that chaos doesn't have to feel like the burden it often does, it can be tamed, reducing it to something that actually guides us, or at worst, it's an inconvenience. But in other words, there are things that we can do to be prepared in advance for the unexpected. Even though, by definition, chaos has many sources and is unexpected. And some of those sources of chaos I've run into are like the loss of a job, an unexpected multi-thousand dollar bill, a medical diagnosis sometimes three or more of those for years at a time. And I get it. My wife and I have been there multiple times. At work, it actually might be a new project you don't agree with, or the project you've just spent four months on gets completely changed in scope or taken away from you and given to a colleague. No matter what, when the chaos hits, we always have a choice. We can run or we can fight. In either case, it's always wise if we can learn something. But 
deciding to fight or flee is the critical decision. It can also be the one that sets the course for our lives. Crying in our milk, running and hiding, or giving up is a choice, yes, but the pity party, self-doubt, and loss of self-esteem is just not worth it. It often leads to ending up either where you were or worse off than before. And I used to do it, so I've actually experienced the fallout of running and hiding. And I've watched people give up at the chaos and end up as bitter, angry, jealous people. The kind of people who leave those nasty comments on social media and are horrible at parties and family gatherings. And I know that because I used to be one of those too. So if you find yourself saying, I can't because, or yeah, but, stop, breathe, think about what it could be like if you didn't have the option to give up. Again, what if you did not have that option to give up? What I've learned is that when we fight, we come out better than we were before. And fighting means we don't give up. It often means that we got help and thereby learned something from that as well. But I've also learned that fighting is much easier when we're prepared. So, how do we prepare? It's about learning to reframe concepts, filtering out the noise, and defining the project properly. Okay, first of all, it helps to take the emotion out of a situation if you just look at it as another project. And I say helps because it doesn't always work for me. Admittedly, I can still panic. And I can run and hide for a little bit until I pull myself together and start to fight. And I've always admired my friends who seem to have been born with the skill of kind of being unemotional and framing events as projects, no matter what that event happens to be. It's always impressed me. But as far as reframing, and I've talked about this in the past, it's about asking yourself what end result and benefits are you going for? It's also about learning to be comfortable with the chaos, even kind of inviting it as an asset. Again, seeing it as clearing the old to make room for the new. In fact, I actually heard a speaker talk about how when he lost all of his assets, all of his wealth and his home and all of that, he had to stop and realize that, you know what, this was an opportunity for him to start over and it was a way to clear out the old money to make room for his new money. And he actually did end up wealthier than before because he fought instead of running and hiding. But this also means that you want to start with contingencies in mind. It means growing an emergency fund over time for when the big bill or the layoffs hit. That's one of the things that this speaker was talking about. It also means keeping track of upcoming repairs due on your car, for example, or changing the oil on time. It's those little things in life that you just got to keep track of so that they don't become big things. But it also means starting the project with the right foundation in the first place. After all, all's well that begins well. So let's talk about that foundation. First of all, do your research. Know what you're dealing with. No matter what this challenge is, no matter what the chaos is, what are the challenges, what are the requirements, what assets do you have that can help you, and who can you ask for help? And remember, assets are not people. Assets are money, things, tools, whatever, and people are people. Keep that separate in your mind. This is an important concept as you start looking for solutions. Then start thinking about what you need to figure out. Do you need to find people that can help you? Can you ask for references to those people? 
or where can you get reliable information to inform your decisions as you're dealing with this chaos? And then how do all the requirements align with the end result you're going for? Do you need to redefine things? For example, are the things presented as requirements a reality, or do you need to ignore them, redefine them, throw any of them away? Which leads to understanding what the realities of the project are. You know, for example, are the people around you panicking? I worked in one environment where people either pretended to or quite often panicked at every project because of the short timelines. But if so, if there, if those people are panicking around you, you can expect their view of the situation to be very skewed. I get it. I panic too. But you have to rein yourself in. You have to start leading yourself first in many cases. But when you stay calm, especially while everybody around you is panicking, you are more likely to be successful in finding a solution. Now, looking back on these questions that I just asked you, if you can dispassionately answer those questions, it will give you a more realistic view of the situation and help you see the chaos in a more rational light. The other thing I recommend is that at each decision point, have an alternate solution available. And I actually recommend having at least two alternates. Now, this tends to annoy my wife on personal projects because it makes it seem to her that I'm worried, and then that can start her worrying. Or she doesn't want me to overthink things and start adding to the scope or changing things midpoint. But if you do give yourself a little time, you'll be able to come up with a couple of solutions that it might not be as good as your primary choice, but still fit the criteria. The benefit here is that even if you don't use those alternative solutions, and you most likely won't, especially if things change on you, it keeps you thinking and it helps you to remember that there's always multiple ways to do something. So you're never really going to be completely stuck. Just have to do a little bit of thinking. But I also have learned over the years to pad my time. And this is an art. You don't want to get obnoxious about it. So you don't want to like double your time and say, well, it's going to take me two weeks when it really only takes you one. But you want to allow for the inevitable extra time you'll need. And as you gain more experience, you'll start learning what those inevitable extras will be, such as the, oh, my boss had a great idea and we need to do this kind of things. Now, if my wife and I didn't give ourselves the full week to redo that family room, we would have been scrambling in the following week evenings and and ended up exhausted during the days. So recognizing that we need more time than we expect or would like to spend is just good project management. And if you don't have enough time and that's something that you can't change, I've had big, big projects that gave me two and a half days to do, then take a look at the requirements and scope. Are there things that you can skip over? Or are there steps or things that you can combine and be more efficient? Which leads me to the best thing that you can do, which is that on every project you're working on, look for ways to be more efficient. And then also look back on your previous projects and see where you could have been more efficient. And then start thinking about how you can use those lessons or concepts in your future work. Now, I can't count the hours that it saved me. I don't think there's any way to really add that all up. But I can say I can count on one hand the times that it was my fault I missed a deadline over the years, which is two. Now, as master craftsman Norm Abrams has said, measure twice, cut once, meaning start with a solid foundation. Take your time and be careful on that foundation work. 
spending time up front will save you a lot of time on the back end. I don't know if you've ever done this, but once in a while I'll see them starting to build a new building on previously unused land or farmland. And if you ever watch them put up, put up this new building, it seems like they're just kind of pushing dirt around for a few months. And nothing much looks like it's happening. And then they finally start laying cement or putting in posts, and then you think, oh, maybe they're finally starting to work on this project. And then two months later the building is up and the four lease signs are out. The reality is, is they've actually been doing the foundation work that whole time. They're just taking their time to make sure that you know things like the sewer and electric are installed correctly and that the ground is level and solid. The solid part being the important thing there. Without that work, the building that structure would be harder and they'd have to work around issues caused by an improper foundation. So things would end up taking longer. In the same way, being careful up front to make sure you have properly defined the project, planned for contingencies, and made sure everyone involved understands the plan is a solid start. But having already set up things like an easy and reliable way to share and communicate is important, and so is making sure everyone on the team is ready to act like a team. In short, making sure that the systems to keep everyone organized and working together are already in place is part of that solid foundation. All of that said, I think the most important thing is to be able to say no. And certainly there's the ability to say no to a client that declares this emergency or changes the project halfway through, but I think it's harder to say no to ourselves. It's often easier to tell a client that their idea is out of scope or will cost extra or you need to look at an alternate option. It's harder to argue with ourselves when we add scope to a project for the five fantastic reasons we just cooked up. But saying no at the right time and for the right reasons can help us filter out the noise and make the chaos more manageable. It often helps to take a step back and imagine what we would say to someone if they brought this idea or change to us. And it may very well be a valid thing to incorporate, but at least it's now under our control. Not so much to be a control freak, more so to make sure it's properly defined or reworked to best fit the project. There have been many times I've added to a project, but I made sure to first redefine the requirement as an end result and benefit that fit within the project's scope. Now, the reality is, in everybody's life, there will be chaos. And I do admit that I grew up hearing stories of my mom's movie star family friends and watching Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. And as a little kid, that sparked my imagination of what was possible in life. But it also set my expectations to be that it was just going to somehow happen for me. I was just going to somehow get there automatically. And when life started throwing chaos my way, I thought there was something wrong with me. I also started to think that those childhood possibilities were just completely unattainable fantasies. You know, I actually did cry in the shower on a couple of occasions. But I also grew bitter and jealous, criticizing everyone I viewed as being, quote, lucky enough to be in life where I wanted to be. I never recognized the hard work they did to get there and the chaos that they actually endured. What finally actually drew me out of that rut were some great friends who taught me that I was actually capable and not just capable of having more out of life, but of dealing with the chaos. And they didn't accept me running and hiding. Instead, they taught me to fight and climb even when I was afraid or exhausted. 
And they did this by simply just telling me to get up, and then they'd hand me a book they thought would help and said, here, read this. By fighting that chaos, I didn't grow stronger as much as I learned I already had what it took. I just had to learn a few things. And I know that might sound cliche, but it's actually true for all of us. We all have the ability to fight chaos and come out ahead. We just have to learn. And the reality is we're not born knowing this stuff. We learn it. We learn it either because our family just behaves that way or we learn it from, like me, coming across some really great friends. But it also can come from reading some great books by people who are where we want to go or have studied people who are where we want to go. And again, by finding good mentors that can help us at whatever stage we're at. Because through your life, you'll have different mentors as you continue to grow. But it also means getting ourselves out of the habit of giving up or believing that we can't handle it. Whatever project you're working on, whether it's at work, starting a business, or remodeling the family room, there is always going to be chaos. Just know that you can handle it. Remember, chaos is often just events seen through our negative emotions like fear, worry, and anger. And that doesn't mean that seeing them through calm, unemotional eyes will make them any less challenging, but it will give you a better chance of dealing with it in the best possible way, fighting your way through it, and actually possibly ending up better than when you started off before. Now, if you're interested in the books I've read, I recommend basically any book by John Maxwell. And this especially if you're learning how to lead yourself, personal growth, lead a team, helping other people grow, and to generally think differently about your goals and life direction. There's also another great book that I don't think a lot of people have heard of, which is Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway by Susan Jeffers. And this for me was foundational in helping me to understand that I, could, I can handle things, but also in how to set up my life and my mindset so that I can handle things when the chaos hits. It is an excellent book for dealing with chaos. But I also want to recommend How to Have Confidence and Power in Dealing with People, and that's by Les Giblin. Now, this is an old book, and the edition I read was from the 60s, so he uses a lot of hilarious language and, and jargon. But he talks about how to be bolder and more confident in general, and I found it was important to help me develop the social and interpersonal skills required to help me deal with a lot of the chaos people were causing. I also want to recommend Winning Without Intimidation by Bob Berg. Um, it is a great book that taught me how to get what I want without feeling like I was pushing someone around or burning bridges, which happens when you push people around. And then finally, another kind of obscure book, but I'm sure you can still find it, is Who Are You Really and What Do You Want by Shad Helmstetter. Now, while it's not a book that helps you deal with current chaos, so if you're experiencing current set of chaos, um, this really helped me to build a foundation to deal with uh, the future chaos I en ended up encountering and actually to avoid some of the chaos that I was creating by my actions. It also helped me to understand a little bit better about who I am as a person, but also what I want out of life. Now, I would say any of these books are a good start. I always recommend starting with John Maxwell. In this case, maybe because we're talking about chaos here, uh, I would recommend Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And, of course, I always recommend Play to Innovate. Again, you can find it on Amazon. 
But that's especially if you want to learn how to think differently and then in general, and then also make problem solving easier and more fun. All right, well, I hope you got something out of what I was talking about today. And if you have any suggestions on future episodes, please let me know, leave a comment, and I will definitely be checking those. Anyway, thank you, and I'll talk to you later. Bye. While I have you here, if you are ready to go to that next step and learn more, check out my book, Play to Innovate. You will find it on Amazon.com. Just search for Play to Innovate, and you will find the book. If you would like to set up a workshop for your group or your company, let me know at brett at fivepebblesllc.com. That's B-R-E-T at fivepebblesllc.com. Those two to three hour dynamic workshops are hands-on training that will take you step-by-step through one of your projects. We will better define that project as end results and benefits. You'll also look at the things that might be holding you or your company back so that you can better change them. We will then go through a dynamic, fun, play to innovate session to find solutions for your project. And then the follow-up will be a time for Q&A and to better define those solutions we found in the play to innovate game session. Everybody will leave feeling fully equipped to use the techniques and mindset, not only to complete the project that we started in the workshop, but also on their future work. So again, if you are ready to set up a workshop, contact me at bret at fivepebblesllc.com. That's the number five, pebblesllc.com. Talk to you later. Bye.